Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz. Yes. We're just going to do a quick 80s thing because we have like 20 different topics to cover and we're just going to so much. boom, boom, boom. But we have to, we can't have the podcast without overlooking that this week, 1985, was the debut of The Breakfast Club. Oh my God. Critics. Literally one of the most important Gen X events ever. Actually, critics, they say, consider it among the greatest films of all time. Yep. So. Such a. I love that movie. I have seen it probably 100 times. I'm always quoting from it. So many great lines in it. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. What is your favorite line? Let's just do that really quick. Okay. I would. That's tough. I know. The first line that comes to me is uh, when Judd Nelson says to Molly Ringwald after she flips him off, such a pristine such an such an obscene gesture from such a pristine girl that was <laughs> or no but also demented and sad but social yeah i mean that's got to be that's got to be number 1 right cuz you still yeah. you still take that one out of the quiver every once in a while yeah uh, what about you which was your fa- which would you say is your favorite so i'm going to have to go with i mean i think judd nelson had all the good lines but i'm going to have to go with does Barry Manilow know you ra- raid his Yeah. <laughs> the great one. Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know you raided his wardrobe? Oh, such a great <laughs> line. That's a good one. And then also um, Judd Nelson's like, no, dad, what about you? Fuck you. No, dad, what about you? Or shut up, bitch. Go fix me turkey pot pie. Also <laughs> great. Literally could do the whole movie right here. We really could. Um, we should just reenact it one. Maybe like on the 40 year anniversary next year, we can just oh reenact my gosh. it. <laughs> Julie and Liz like, do The Breakfast Club. A table reading of The Breakfast Club. No <laughs> script needed. Can nope. go by heart. Well, thank you for that because that is a great. That's a great memory. Such a great memory. Um, so there's so much happening this week in Washington. Obviously, the House and the Senate. We can get to that. We have a national security threat, Liz. <laughs> yes. Why don't you start yes. with that? Because that was so crazy and just so blatant yesterday. Well, we're recording Thursday, Wednesday. So explain a little bit about how we're all going to die this weekend. Yes. So I'm really excited to talk about <laughs> this story. Um, let's go through the sequence of events. So, um, Mike Turner, who is the chairman of the House Intel Committee, he's a cuck. He's mm-hmm. a, a weak, bad person, bad man, weak. He was put in there by McCarthy because he's weak. They never put good people on the Intel Committee. It was an accident that they put Nunes on the committee when he was in charge of House Intel. So now they have Mike Turner, who's terrible. And Mike Turner announces yesterday that or wants the Biden administration to release the classified information about some credible threat um, from, of course, the Russians. We didn't know at first. It was just like a credible national security threat. Then we found out it was the Russians, of course. And then more information came out, and it has to do with Russians launching nukes into space to, like, vaporize our satellites and paralyze our communications. That's Mm -hmm. the story. However, 
if you listen to this show, you're smarter than that. <laughs> and you know, right. these people cannot be trusted ever. And so the likelihood that this is actually a threat or a new threat, right? There's always the threat of China and Russia and our adversaries, you know, working on something to hurt to hurt us. I mean, that that's always going on. Is this a new, more serious threat? Almost likely not, because noticeably, noticeably, there are other things going on legislatively where it looks like this could be used to apply pressure. No, Liz, to, it is a coincidence. This is sheer a coincidence. coincidence. Totally a coincidence that they're trying to reauthorize the FISA, 702 uh FISA reauthorization, which, as as again, listeners of our show know, is just a tool that the government uses to spy on its um, adversaries and secondarily perhaps used for national security purposes. So there's that. There's the pressure to fund the Ukraine, the Ukraine war, which passed in the Senate in a standalone bill. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but the only leverage the Republicans have on the border is to tie those things together. Like the Democrats want the Ukraine funding. The Republicans want border. Some Republicans want border security. So if we connect those two, everybody gets something they want. But by separating them, the Republicans get nothing and the Democrats get exactly what they want. Um, and some Republicans, because there are the war hawks want to keep the forever wars going. Um, and the Ukraine is one of their pets. So is it there really a threat or is this just some sort of operation like a psyop to scare people into pressuring their elected officials and to pressure the elected officials themselves into taking action? So I don't know. I don't believe anything these deep state freaks say. So, you know, I'll leave it up to you to decide how legitimate and credible this threat is. But I just I I do think it's getting quite transparent, these little operations, because that's my opinion. Um, so that's what's going on with that. Right. And um, <clears throat> in addition to that, then the Senate in the wee hours of the morning passed the ninety five billion dollar Ukraine funding package with some crumbs to Israel and I think Taiwan. And you had senators up there like claiming this was the most important vote they would ever take. Is shipping yet? What is our total, Liz? Are we at 200 billion? That freaks Zelensky. God, no. We have no accountability for where the money went. We have no, well, we know it's going back in the pockets of Mitt Romney and his family. And I'm sure they're lobbyists or contractors or whatever for the national security state. So, you know that all of these senators are somehow enriching themselves with this. So that's what we got out of the pity, pitiful U.S. Senate this week. But to your point, it's all this is all coordinated and they're so stupid and sloppy that yeah. they think they're convincing people that this is legit and everyone is just mocking them like, OK, now we're supposed to believe this threat at the same time you're saying this is the most important national security vote to send more money to Ukraine. And then of course the FISA reauthorization. Yeah. It, like I said, it's, it's 
it's tedious. You know, you guys do better, you know, do better with your psyops. Um, I just, I don't know anybody who legitimately thinks that this is a, a date is, is an actual danger, but there it is. You heard it here on happy hour with Julie and Liz. So what else is going on, Julie? Well, there's a lot happening in Congress this week. So in addition to that, um, the House did finally impeach uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. So he's impeached. Um, so that trial, right, will commence at some point. So I think they no, have to appoint they don't impeach. Have I don't think no? they have to have a trial. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Well, they the and House I don't does think they're the, going to. The Senate would have the trial, right? The, the House the Senate has, does the trial. So, yeah. So he's impeached. Then the Senate, I don't think the Senate has to take it up. I'm I'm not sure. I do not think they're going to take it up. And if if they do have to take it up, they'll schedule it for like three years. You know right. what I mean? Okay. Like I, we'll we'll do it in in two in 2027. They're not going to they're not going to. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they have to do it. So he was impeached. Yeah, they Does probably it matter? Won't. Nothing. Yes. No, it doesn't matter. Um, nothing's going to change. Uh, that nothing will happen from that. He doesn't care. I mean, just like Eric Holder was held in contempt of court for refusing to turn over documents on Fast and Furious, and you know, Congress voted. They held him in contempt, and nothing happened. It ended there. So it's just like that, where these things only matter and only have consequences for certain people. So. Yes. So that's where that is. Meanwhile, Joe Biden and the Democrats in the media are trying to blame the Republicans for torching the quote unquote border bill, which wasn't a border bill. It was the aid package and blaming them for the crisis at the border. So is the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. So that's where we are with that. But of course, no one's buying it. Joe Biden's approval rating continues to be at historical lows. There were other new polls coming out this week showing, you know, big gains for Trump against Biden. So we'll see if that's if that sticks. Um, also, the White House still in, de- you know, defense mode or now going on offense related to Robert Hur's report that suggested what we all know is that Biden has dementia and can't remember basic things like when his son died. So they're going actually on offense. And it looks like there was some sort of memo sent out or message sent to the media that the White House and others will retaliate against reporters and news outlets who continue to cover what Robert Hur said um, in that report about Joe Biden's lack of mental capabilities. Wow, that is um, that is ballsy. But why wouldn't they do that? Because again, the media is gonna be like, okay, we won't, right? Well, I mean, this, this is isn't... the same. This is the same tactic, as you know, that Biden's campaign, Kate Bedingfield, who was the communications director, she started threatening reporters, and I mean, this was 2019, but really accelerated in 2020. Uh, threatening reporters who were reporting or planned to cover the Hunter Biden laptop information. And this she made this very public. So they're used to threatening the press. And of course, the press is used to complying 
yeah. and bending the knee to these threats. So we'll see if this disappears. But there was sort of interesting report, and I think I'm just pulling it up now. I tweeted it. I don't know if it was NPR. I, it might have been NBC News. Um, our guy, Ken uh, Delaney. Our Ken Delanian wrote a story. That's right. Fusion Ken. You might Fusion know Ken. That That's Fusion right. Fusion Ken. And we call him Fusion Ken because he, like Fusion Natasha, we'll talk yep. about her. Um, she got a big promotion. She but, did. Um, so Fusion Ken, yes, did report on NBC News. Now, this is interesting that it was Jill Biden who brought up Bo Biden's death. It was not Robert Hur. So this is what Ken Delinian reported on uh, February 14th. President Joe Biden lashed out at Robert Hur last week over one particular line in the special counsel's report on his handling of classified documents that Biden, quote, did not remember even within several years when his son Bo died. As you know, Liz, Biden lashed out during his hastily scheduled and disastrous press conference after the Hur report came out. Um, and he said, frankly, uh, you know, how in the hell does he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Delinian goes on, but her never asked the question, according to two people familiar with Biden's five hour interview, it was the president, not her or his team who first introduced Bo Biden's death. Because of course he does that all the time. Well, we, right. And we have multiple instances of him on camera right not just reported on camera of lying about how his son died which he he's he's always saying that his son died in iraq his son did not die in iraq his son died of a brain tumor so he didn't die in war but we know that biden either he's intentionally lying he's a compulsive liar or he's legitimately confused about how his son died uh and so i'm not saying that doesn't mean he's the you know that has nothing to do with Delenian's report it just goes to the fact that Biden is cognitively impaired so it's pretty easy to believe that whatever he is saying happened in that interview probably didn't happen as he said the more interesting question is why is Ken Delanian writing about this because right. Ken Delanian fusion right. again fusion Ken his uh god-given name fusion Ken <laughs> uh he doesn't He's not really a journalist. He's a propaganda artist. So there's a reason that they're writing on this. And I've I've suspected I mentioned talked about this last week. You know, I think that the burn notice is out on him, but I, I, I could be it. wrong. I, I, I don't know. But there's a there's a he's not writing about it because it's a legitimate story. So, you know, we know that there's there's another reason. And. I just want to address what you mentioned about how the media complies with the White House. The media does that. They they don't even really need to be asked to True. do that. You True. know, they don't. Yes. And part of it is just the nature of the way the media is, which is that if you want access to these people, you can't criticize them. This is really common across all media outlets. I mean, if you're a woman and you li- are listening and you read um, you know, fashion magazines, or if there are any left, you know, these companies buy hundreds of thousands of dollars of ads in the magazine. Do you think that the magazine's going to write an article saying that their mascara could like cause you to lose your vision? No, they're not. So it's kind of like the nature of the media where you, 
lo- you you lose access if you do not toe the line. Now, in theory, our media is supposed to be above that, you know, and because it is a, a symbiotic relationship where these elected officials need the media too, right? They need to get their message out. They need to get stories about what they're doing out. So it should be both sides. But because our media is are really activists now and they're not journalists, they're not telling the story um, for this for its own sake or because the public should know um, th- that we we can't trust anything that we see in the media. Hence, Ken Ken Delanian. So his story that so has I another. Purpose. What that is about is that prepping yep. because Republicans have asked for the transcripts of yeah. the interview that Biden gave Robert Hur in October. So they want that transcript. I don't know if there's audio recordings. I, I thought I saw somewhere that there was that. There might be. I would think there would be. I mean, the FBI usually does record interviews. Well, well, not all interviews, like with Hillary Clinton or something. They're not going to record that. Uh, so maybe not. Maybe not. But they, the Republicans are asking, which means something exists because they would know. And um, but furthermore, as I tweeted out, X'd out, posted out, whatever it is now, um, that the reason that Bo Biden's name would have come up during any interview not necessarily just Joe Biden's continued gratuitous and really disgusting uh, exploitation of his son's death is because the book that he was writing after he left the White House was about how he handled his job when his son was dying. So he, Joe Biden, shifted gears. He was planning on writing a book about the Afghanistan war his growing opposition to what was becoming an unpopular war, his opposition, more importantly, to Barack Obama's 2009 surge plan, which did go forward. Joe Biden opposed that. So among some of the classified documents that they found was this memo that Joe Biden had authored around Thanksgiving of 2009 to give to Barack Obama, outlining his opposition to the war. One can only imagine what that memo looks like. Yes. All of the misspellings like Afghanistan, which apparently he doesn't know how to spell. Do you think it was crayon? Like the memo was in crayon or something with little stick figures. Dear um, Mr. President. <laughs> he did like little stick figures of the two of them together. President spelled like P-R-E-Z-I-D-E-N-T. Like, you know, like president Dunt or something. <laughs> So this this was just one of the many classified files, top secret files that he had about Afghanistan. So he kept that because he was going to initially write the book. Someone pitched, let's further exploit your son's death. Make the book about how you were doing your job while your son, who seemed like a pretty decent guy. I mean, maybe it's just in contrast to the rest of the degenerates in the Biden family, but he seemed like an all right guy. I remember watching that whole funeral and everything. It was horrifyingly sad. A young man, he's got young kids. It was it was terrible what happened to him. Um, so he shifted gears. So this is why Bo Biden's death was relevant to the investigation, because he had classified documents mixed in in boxes with mementos, notes, sympathy cards that he got for Bo. He also in classified notebooks 
that the government deemed were classified. He had taken classified notes, kept them in notebooks, but he also was keeping notes about what was happening to Bo at the time. So this is how Bo Biden's name at all would have come up in the course of the investigation. Or it could have been Joe Biden saying, I don't remember because, you know, my son was dying at the time. Well, no, Mr. President, we're talking about 2019. He had already been dead for four years, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. That's why right. Joe Biden was relevant to the her investigation. Yes. And I know some people said, oh, why would you ask him about that in the first place? Well, that's why. Um, and again, the fact that that stuff was all mixed in together just shows the recklessness with which that classified material was 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 being treated. And, you know, there are official government documents that are classified. Um, and then there's information that's tr told to people. So, for instance, every morning or most mornings or not as many mornings in this administration, the president gets the presidential daily brief, which is a summary of all of the intelligence from the, our various intelligence gathering agencies, um, all 17 uh whatever intelligence agencies <laughs> that we learned about during FISA, but also, you know, the FBI, the CIA, they, they, they put together a briefing and they tell them, you know, what's going on. They orally do that. They, I mean, it is a printout too, but they tell him that if he's taking notes, those notes are also classified. They may not be in the system and they may not be marked classified, but the contents of them is classified. You can't just fold that up, put it in your pocket, and then throw it on the coffee table back in Wilmington, Delaware, in your home. That's classified. So the fact that Biden had notebooks with notes of information that it's the information itself, not the actual physical document that makes something classified. So, and again, mixed in with sympathy cards and other things, it's just speaks to how reckless he is was with that classified information, not to mention that a lot of that stuff went back from when he was a senator. I mean, I, I'm sure they asked him about that as well, and that didn't directly have to do with Bo. But it's always good to remember that Biden had classified information from when he was in the Senate, which is even worse than classified information he had as vice president, because he'd have no business to take something like that out of a skiff. Anyway, and Liz, I did. Um, I really took some time last weekend because I'm a loser. No, I'm really not. But I was like, I'm digging into this report. So I really went through the her report. I compared it to the indictment and the evidence against Trump in the classified documents case. I have a pretty lengthy piece on my Substack, declassified with Julie Kelly, that explains what you're talking about. The Joe Biden's case is far more egregious, far more intentional. Um, and far more unlawful than what Donald Trump is being accused of. And Joe Biden, according to witnesses who talked to Robert Herr, has a history of mishandling documents. Like you said, he would throw classified binders just on a coffee table in the vice president's residence. He took a top secret briefing book that someone gave him in the Hamptons. He kept it and never returned it in the summer of 2010. They, they still don't have it. So his wow. recklessness and look, if you look at the pictures from the Biden house, they are slobs on top of everything else, because, of course, <laughs> it's even worse than the classified documents. Are I, I mean, you want to go into that house and just like like he, it could be an episode of hoarders like this could be like Oof. vice pre presidential hoarders. Let's go visit the Biden's Delaware house. Look Oof. at their garage. They literally have shit in boxes 
all over the place. Um, so they had to give him another briefing in 2010. Here is how you have to handle classified documents. You can't take these briefing books. You can look at them and then you have to return them. They found eyes only, as you know, Liz, but you're, and you know this better than I do, papers and records that you can, that officials can look at in certain areas, like the Situation Room or Skiff or whatever, they have to return them. Yeah, that's I was going to ask, how did they let, like, that's not how it works. You can't right. just start putting the stuff that they're showing you into your bag, into your Birkin bag, and then just trot on out of the Skiff. That, that's not how it works. So that's, I'd be very curious how he even got that out. Of, of of a situation because they just loaded up these boxes and he took them now keep in mind too he took the all of these materials to a rental home in virginia after he his term as vice president ended that was stored willy-nilly wherever the hell the biden's decided to put it in this rental home in 2017 then they went back to delaware in 2019 taking all these materials again now liz this is in addition to all the shit that they found at the penn biden center I mean, we'll never know how many classified documents were actually housed there because his team started going there in May of 2022. Kathy Chung and other top White House officials went to the Penn Biden Center the same day that DOJ issued a subpoena against Donald Trump for more classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Then they're thinking, oh, holy shit, we're being investigated by House Republicans we better go there because if they're asking for files about whatever Hunter Biden, the Bidens, and they see classified documents. So she went there starting in May 2022. They spend months going through Penn Biden Center, the Delaware House, other locations. They're finding all these classified documents, allegedly turning them over to the archives, who, unlike the Trump case, again, the archives had no interest in Joe Biden. This was all a self-initiating inquiry by the Biden team to fend off what House Republicans might find in right. files that they were asking for. So we'll never know. Who knows what was destroyed, what Kathy Chung ended up putting in her pants or her Birkin yep. bag or whatever. We'll never know the amount. Well, again, because we're talking about decades of classified information that was collected by Joe Biden. Whereas I know earlier you were talking about how you were comparing them. Like Trump took documents or what the its documents in question were when he left the White House to go back, you know, and he was done and he went back to his home. Biden had been collecting classified documents for decades, decades yep. and yes. far more damaging and with far more, far more time for those documents to be of value to someone, to whether it's a foreign country or per perhaps a company that has your son on the board or perhaps some of your Chinese friends that give you a lot of money and diamonds or whatever. So, and there were documents, there were documents related to Ukraine, top official records that he had taken notes on. I want to put this in my personal file. There were records, obviously, Afghanistan, China, Ukraine, um, Iraq, Iran, nuclear deal. These are serious files, not who we still don't know what the hell Trump allegedly had or has had. Um, and that's a whole other issue in the Florida case. Jack Smith is really is attempting doing his best to keep all of the alleged classified documents, prevent the uh, government from sharing those files with Donald Trump and his defense attorney. So that was a big battle. We'll talk about all of Trump's legal 
dates, uh, court dates this week. So anyway, this is why back to the Bo Biden, that's why that came up. And actually, Liz, I think team Biden should thank Robert Herr for inserting those comments about his memory, because without that, they would have to focus on the actual substance of that report. Now, they probably wouldn't, but the news would be about where these documents were found, the nature of them, the reckless nature with which Joe Biden handled them for your point decades, at least the past few years or whatever, since he was vice president. So they actually should be thanking Robert Kerr and not Jill Biden, who happens to be the most vile of all the Bidens, claiming that Bo Biden was her son. And that this was disgraceful that Robert Herr made those comments about her son. Bo Biden is not Jill Biden's Ugh. son. Sorry, didn't give birth to him. Might have come in later after you were done babysitting him and married the father. But she's not his mother. His mother was killed in a car accident, which makes these people even more horrible. Gross. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. So moving on. Let's talk about something really amusing and that you couldn't make up if you tried. And that is the Fannie Willis soap opera unfolding in Fulton County. This is like one of those telenovelas that, you know, (laughs) in South America, like the telenovela. Ay, Dios mio. (laughs) It really has all of those elements of, you know, infidelity, sex, money, except... (laughs) (laughs) The stakes are much higher on this. So go ahead, Julie. Give us an update. This is too good. Like you could not. No one could sit telenovela. I'm not even sure what it was, but that sounds comparable. But I'm not even sure the greatest telenovela writer, fiction writer, could make this up. Yeah. So on Thursday, as we're taping, there is an evidentiary hearing in Judge McAfee's courtroom, he is the judge handling Fannie Willis's RICO indictment against Trump and several defendants. So one of the defendants, um, Mike, is it Mike Roman? Mike Roman. Yeah, Mike Roman. Who I'm told is one of the greatest political opposition he, researchers. Okay, let me tell you, I know Mike Roman. Okay. And Mike Roman is fucking fabulous. So don't mess with Mike Roman. You do not well, mess with Mike Roman. Thank you. She messed with Mike Roman. And guess what? She got the horns. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. Well played. (laughs) Thank you. No, seriously, if you are in Republican, if you work in conservative circles and you work on campaigns and you have a campaign, you are hiring Mike Roman to do your oppo. You are. And he worked in the Trump White House. He went into work and I think he may have been a speechwriter. Um, or he may have done research. But yeah, they, they're they after Mike. We call him Roman. Anyway, go ahead, Julie. So, and I mean, he doesn't have really serious charges. I mean, he's got these charges, but the evidence against him is so weak. I don't know if it's a couple texts that he sent, like with phone numbers. It's not like he was a key player in this imaginary crime. So Mike Roman did his thing and uncovered this affair between Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, who's one of his top prosecutors, who's one of her top prosecutors. Uh, he's basically an ambulance chaser, DUI, divorce attorney, but he was in the process <laughs> of getting a divorce himself. So Mike Roman, apparently being this genius opposition, op, oppo researcher, yep. 
Got to get that divorce decree. <laughs> Got go those. That info. Yep, that's where all the good stuff is. Well, he found a lot of good stuff. And that is, and now evidence, not just of her having this illicit affair with one of her prosecutors, um, but that she appears to have financially benefited from this relationship because Nathan Wade has been paid $640,000, $650,000 as a prosecutor on this team. But then we could see by his financial records in the divorce case how this has been funneled back to Fanny. So Fanny gets to go on trips. He pays for cruises. He's paid for airline tickets. Now, there's new filings that came out this week. Apparently, she got a tattoo or one of them got a tattoo. There. So, I mean, this is getting like, yeah. this is getting so good. And I like, love this. It, it So love it. I, I imagine this guy has like his face on b- benches at bus stops, you know, like he's that level of attorney, you know, right. where it's like 1-800-NO-DUI, something like that. Yeah. So, and not only that, um, he, uh, he, his law partners, and I posted this too, this is amazing. Nathan Wade's law partners, number one, one of them represented him in the divorce um, case, But number two, they were sending out flyers to defendants in the RICO case, including Jeff Clark, saying we will defend you. So that hearing is is happening Thursday morning and we'll see. So, well, we will shortly we will shortly see because I think that McAfee is going to rule pretty quickly. But then, Liz, what happens if he does decide that she's violated her professional conduct, rules of professional conduct, unethical, then what? Well, at that point, I mean, the question is what happens to her professionally? And the next thing is, and the other thing is what happens, you know, to what all of all the stuff that she has done so far, you know, will they just sub someone else in and say, we're going to pick up, we'll get rid of her and just substitute her. I mean, is she going to be sanctioned by the bar for that behavior, probably not. I mean, the bar is the tool of the left. It's the the lawyers association, the the legal, the legal, you know, the bar association of Georgia. You know, are they going to do anything to her? I don't think they will. The question is, how are they going to handle the case? Is the case just going to go away? Or are they going to can the? I'm sure the lawyers will argue the case is tainted. They absolutely will. My understanding or will is they that sub in, you know, and right. or, and you know, the state which is the one bringing the charges uh, via via her, um, you know, will they just get, put in the the bencher, you know, bring up someone from the bench? Well, there's some interesting writing about this. And um, I, I think that some people are saying that if she is disqualified, then the entire case is tainted. <clears throat> because the her entire case is what? Tainted. Yeah. Well, yeah. So then you'd have to go back to the very beginning of the investigation, which there's some, I think, in the latest filing. And she could have lied in her response to Mike Roman's motion. And that is her claim that their relationship began after he was appointed to serve on the prosecution team. It looks like there's evidence that this relationship goes back to 2020. 
So if he's got solid evidence and it's hard to believe that he wouldn't and that she just thinks she can lie to the court and get away with it. If she has misrepresented the circumstances of their relationship, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade to the court, she's going to be in big ass trouble. Big ass, Fannie. Is she is she I mean, remember, these institutions uh, selectively enforce their rules. So she might not be in 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 big trouble. The question is, will they start the case? Again? Will someone else, if a judge decides the case is tainted and the whole thing is tainted, will someone else just start over? Or is that well, just double check? I'm pretty sure the defendant that? will file and say the whole case is tainted from the very beginning because she was financially profiting. And right. he's but- tainted because... You know, he's for whatever reason. So well, but, I, I don't know. Well, I they started I, over or is that double jeopardy? You know what I mean? What can they just bring in a new one and say, OK, we're refiling charges from be- the beginning with a new team? I don't think I assume you can. That, can you? Maybe well, you can if they haven't been convicted. Right. That's what I'm saying is, is double, does double jeopardy come into play here where if you are are charged and you do have a trial and you're found not guilty, the state can't refile against you and try again. That's what double jeopardy is. But since this didn't come to a conclusion, would there be, you know, would that be a factor in in this instant? You know, would that matter? I don't know. It's going to be a mess. But again, this is just one of several, you know, the, the, the Democrats are, are strategic. You know, this isn't just the only game in town, as Julie knows very well. We've got stuff going on in other places. <laughs> That to serve that to do the same purpose, you know, for serving the same purpose to go after Trump. I would think that at this point, Jack Smith is hoping the Fannie Willis case just goes away. DOJ, yeah, hoping that goes away because it's maybe, maybe not because this is attracting so much attention, and then Jack Smith can get away with all the shit that he's doing. Um, who knows though, but. This is um, I, I think that you can access the hearing, the Fannie, Will- Fannie Willis hearing online. So if people want to amuse themselves, maybe over the weekend, I think you could go to YouTube, the Fulton County, because it's not federal state courthouse. And then there might even be Zoom proceedings. But I think you can access it and just see uh, see what happens. Yeah, probably not safe for work, though. Uh you know, if we're going to get into details about the affair. So don't listen from the office. But Trump also had, so he's had a busy week, Liz. Um, so started off earlier this week, he had to file his emergency, his application for an emergency stay before the Supreme Court. This is ask, asking the court to put on hold the uh, D.C. appellate court ruling that came down that denied, again, denied his claims of presidential immunity. So Trump had by Tuesday night to file his application. He did. Chief Justice John Roberts gave DOJ Jack Smith until next week to file his response. Jack Smith did that Thursday uh, more, excuse me, yep, a Wednesday, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Here's my response. And Jack Smith made, of course, all of these outlandish, desperate um, claims and statements as to why the court should deny the emergency stay and 
if the court does, and just to explain to people, if the court comes back and denies Trump's application for an emergency stay, the the trial proceedings in Washington right now are on hold. They've been on hold since December. If they deny the emergency stay, then the proceedings in Judge Chutkin's courtroom for the Washington J6 election trial will restart. So they've been on hold now for a little over eight weeks. So she'll kind of go back to when it was on hold, make up for that time. So about two months. The March 4th trial date has already been vacated. So this will basically just add two months for now until the Supreme Court settles the immunity question. I really don't know what's going to happen there, Liz. If they need five justices to consent to an emergency stay, the only reason I think they might is because Jack Smith has already stepped in it. Remember when he tried to avoid going to the D.C. Circuit and ask yeah. the Supreme Court to take up the case before the appellate court and they said no. Well, in that filing, Jack Smith admits that the Supreme Court ultimately will have to decide this question. So he can't go back now. I mean, he opposes the state, but he can't go back now and say, we'll oppose the state and oppose, you know, taking this case altogether because he's already said it. So he might have created a problem for himself, even with the state request. Um, so we'll see. So that was earlier th- Earlier this week, on Tuesday, Donald Trump went to Judge Cannon's courtroom in southern Florida, Fort Pierce, um, for a closed door hearing about the classified documents case. So Donald Trump went to that hearing with his attorneys. Jack Smith's team then was there. So what they're arguing there is what documents, what records really are classified really are sensitive and can't be shown to Donald Trump and his attorneys who have security clearance, what material discovery material can be withheld from Trump, what can be redacted in these documents, can we just give them a summary of what we have? Ha ha, imagine that, Liz. Jack Smith making a summary of the classified documents he has. Pretty funny. I want to go back to like earlier when you were talking about Jack Smith filing his um, motion yesterday. And Byron York had a really good tweet this morning. I'm just going to, re- or last night, I'm just going to read it about Jack Smith. I don't know if you saw it, Julie, it's a little long, but I'm, I'm just going to read part of it because he, he makes a really interesting point. He writes, why does Jack Smith keep urging courts to speed up the Trump trial without mentioning that he, Smith, is racing to try, convict, and sentence Trump before the November 5th election. Smith's new filing says the public has, quote, compelling interest, unquote, of, quote, unique national importance, unquote, in the speedy trial, but leaves out the fact that the defendant is the leading candidate for the presidency this November. Says there would be, quote, serious harm to the government and to the public of postponing the resolution of the criminal charges, unquote, but why would that be? says, quote, the public interest in a prompt trial is at its zenith, where, as here, a former president is charged with conspiring to subvert the electoral process so that he can remain in office, unquote. And, quote, in all criminal cases, delay can be, quote, fatal to achieving just outcomes, unquote, <clears throat> J6. <clears throat> as time passes, witnesses may become unavailable or their memories fade, 
Where was Smith during the E. Jean Carroll suit? And this, quote, there is a national interest in seeing the crimes alleged in this case resolved promptly. The public has a compelling interest in a prompt disposition of the case. But wait a minute. Could there be any other reason? Why can't Smith just say there's an election on November 5th? The defendant is the leading candidate for president. We must decide the case before the vote. Anyway, I just think that that's a really good point to to remember, that they're trying to pretend that this is super urgent, but not actually say why it's urgent, which is that the purpose is to muck up, you know, to gunk up the the Trump wheel. (laughs) That's the purpose. It is. And that's the closest that Jack Smith has come so far to suggesting that they need a verdict before Election Day. Like he's tried to pretend that no one is above the law. This is all the application of equal justice, blah, blah, blah. And now he's basically admitting this is the closest that he will come to saying we need a verdict on Donald Trump before people go vote. Before people vote for him. And also, of course, they want they want this to happen so that they can write about it in the media. And that can be in the media and they can talk about Trump's, you know, all of Trump's trials and all the things that Jack Smith is going after Trump for and not talk about the fact that Joe Biden, his opponent, has mashed potatoes for brains. You know, they're going to they need to to fill up the news cycle with something. And it's got to be this. And it's got to be, you know, all of the think pieces all about the things that Jack Smith is is uh, charging Trump with and how terrible he is. So this is just another transparent political operation. Well, there is some breaking news as we're recording, and that is the judge in press. Okay, go ahead. Oh, no, that the Trump's first criminal trial will start next month. Is what it will. Alvin Bragg prosecution of the Stormy Daniels alleged hush money case. So Alvin Bragg, this chump who is letting illegal immigrants who assault police officers released without bail. This guy is going to get the first bite of the apple against Trump. Jury selection will start March 25th. I'm sure that's going to be fair and on the up and up. You know, it's interesting to kind of let's just take a step back. Um, You know, on this show, we give a really hard time to these like weak congressmen and senators who are giant pussies or power bottoms. I guess I taught that word to one of our listeners last week. So you're welcome doing God, doing the Lord's work on happy hour every week. I am. Um, But um, this is what, what, what's happening to Trump is what happens when you don't go along with what they want. And I'm not making excuses for the power bottoms in DC who, you know, toe the line. I'm just saying, this is what they're afraid of. You know, you wonder why are they doing that? So, I mean, some of them believe it and some of them are bought off, but others are just scared because this is what happens to you. And Trump is lucky in the sense that he's very popular and he's rich. So, yes. but for a regular person, it's a, it is a concern. So, you know, well, he's, it getting, is. he's getting it from all angles. It is whether someone, you know, John Eastman, who we interviewed and trying to bankrupt and destroy him. Jeffrey Clark, any of these defendants. And this goes down to Mike Roman, who, you know, again, wasn't a high up elected, wasn't a high official in the Trump. You know, he wasn't like a a secretary, you know, agency secretary, something like that. Um, You know, the process is the punishment. You know, you need a million dollars to get a defense, a defense lawyer. Right. Um, 
So people are afraid. Okay, so we've got that trial now being scheduled. So I wonder how this will impact what's happening in, say, the Florida case. Oh, and also then tomorrow, I think that whack whack job Judge Engeron is supposed to file his official verdict in the Letitia James prosecution. I think that's tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Friday. Also, Friday, Friday, we are going to have a unusual Supreme Court conference that is not um, I, I'm trying to think of the right word. You might know it's it looks like it's going to be an announcement. So it it's not arguments. So but they're having an open to the public. I think it's at like 930 in the morning, some kind of I think Supreme Court doesn't really have press conferences. They're going to have like an open conference that's not doesn't involve arguments. So it seems to me like there's going to be an announcement. What that announcement might be, it could be about the Colorado, which is going to be means Jack Smith's going to have a bad weekend. That's what I think. Julie, did you hear about this? I did. I saw that. And I'm not really sure what it means. People were kind of speculating and you might be right. It could be something related to the um, Colorado Supreme Court ruling that kicked Trump off the ballot. The Supreme Court heard those oral arguments last week. None of them seemed convinced by the Colorado uh, attorney who was arguing why he should be kicked off the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So you're right. I think there was some speculation that that could have something to do with it. But um, I, to your point, I'm not really sure how things like that work because they do file, they do issue an orders list, right? Like every, I think every Monday, every Tuesday. Um, But then they have conference and they've got, I mean, I could look it up right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll know soon enough what it's about. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of speculation too. Um, it could be any number of things, but I'm hoping it's the Colorado thing because that does need to be decided pretty quick. Um, and depending on how it's worded, it's going to be really bad for Jack Smith, which, you know, is a good thing, right? Would be a good thing. Yes. So a lot of legal turmoil, drama, and outcomes that we are keeping an eye on. And I guess the next really big thing, aside from the notice of the Alvin Bragg prosecution against Trump beginning March 25th, what the outcome will be in Southern Florida of these hearings, Judge Cannon is very skeptical of Jack Smith and DOJ's claims that all of this material should be kept, not just away from Trump, but under seal from the public. So we'll see. She's got some interesting rulings that she's going to be making soon. To And this is why everyone's calling for her dismissal. You know, these legal experts are pretending that somehow Judge Cannon can be dismissed from the case. Well, she has to recuse herself. So say in the Judge Chutkin uh, case against Donald Trump, his defense team came to her and said, you need to recuse yourself. And here's why you've made political statements in court about Trump about January 6th. You need to recuse. She said, thanks for the um, invite. But no. So they can't just pull Judge Cannon from the case. That's what they're pretending that they can do. So that's going to set up a lot of legal drama. But also on March 1st in her courtroom in Florida, and I will be there, will be a hearing with Jack Smith's team. She has set this in November. She wants an update 
about what's happening in the Washington case and how that relates to the May 20th trial date she's already set. So I have no idea what's going to happen with any of this. It's all up in the air, but rest assured, happy hour listeners, we will keep you updated. We will be there. We will be Julie will be there. I will not be I will not be at any of these things, but Julie will be there and reporting um on Twitter or here. Um this is it this is gonna be crazy. We warned you last week this is gonna be a crazy year. Or maybe not even last week, but like since January, how crazy twenty twenty four is gonna be. So you yeah. were warned. It's getting even crazier than I thought. And then we have the other report by Michael Schellenberger and Matt Ayubi. Yeah. And I know that there were people saying, oh, we already knew this. But Liz, I covered Russiagate. I didn't know that they were tr- that they were using international spy agencies and intelligence to set up more than two dozen Trump. Yeah, that's the big thing in the story is we kind of knew that there was some shenanigans with George Papadopoulos and Carter Page, but it was much more than that. They're talking about 26. And of course. The intelligence agencies, the CIA in particular, they're not allowed technically to spy on American citizens. All right. That's not what they don't operate in the U.S. They're supposed to be national security. It, that, that, that's an international operation that deals with foreign countries. So the way around that is to have your friends in other countries, intelligence communities, spy on the Americans you want to spy on but are technically prohibited from doing it. But the fact that it was, what, 26, 26 Trump, like, associates or campaign people is is just insane. If that doesn't really scare the shit out of you about how out of control the government is, I don't know what will. Well, and, and so this sort of goes back to the classified documents case is that there is this 10 inch binder, apparently, which we we've heard about this binder that has all of the records related to Crossfire Hurricane, but Crossfire Hurricane was the FBI investigation. So apparently there's documents in there that refer to the CIA, all of this initiated and led by CIA Director John Brennan, who should be in jail, possibly on death row. I mean, let's talk about, he is the biggest traitor of many traitors, but he is a dangerous psychopath who had control of arguably the most powerful government agency in the world and used that authority against Donald Trump. Now, Liz, John Brennan didn't do this on his own, right? John Brennan didn't wake up one day, no matter how much of a psychopath, deranged lunatic he is, and say, I think I'm going to use our spy agency, including Five Eyes, which is the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Australia, England. To spy on uh, to spy on Carter Page, right? We know where that order came from, and that came from the top, because that's how Barack Obama and his people roll. That's what they do. So this is new news. If anyone wants to check it out, it's at public. Michael Schellenberger um, disclosing all of this. But so this binder apparently is still missing. I think this is the binder that Trump ordered declassified that the CIA, Gene Haspel, refused to declassify in 2020. Um, 
But Liz, I think if he ordered it declassified, it's declassified. Like, yes, Gina Haskell that's, doesn't that's get right. to override that, no, correct? she doesn't. Nobody, nobody gets to override. The president does. There's no process where the someone determines whether what the president declassifies is allowed to be declassified. That's that's absurd. That's fantasy land. It's important to remind people that Gina Haspel was the London bureau chief during all of this spying on the Trump campaign. She um, and of course, England is part of Five Eyes and they were, we know that they work very closely with all sorts of sundry uh, British spies, including Christopher Steele, who is a British spy. Um on this spying efforts against the Trump campaign. And Gina Haspel was, of course, appointed as CIA director by Donald Trump. And I believe she is. She's, isn't she still the CIA director? No, no, no. Because she. Oh. Um, no, who's Biden's CIA director? I think um, it's still. No, Google. can't still be her. Another really great appointment by Donald Trump. Why the f would you put Gina Haspel in charge of the CIA? Who was oh, there before? Right. Pompeo? Uh, yeah, Pompeo, a lot of good he did. Yeah, he did a lot. And then he oh, recommended Gina Haspel. William Burns is the head. William of this, Burns, another. Uh, yeah, they're all the same. They're all the same. I just wanted to point out that Gina Haspel was the head of the CIA during all of this going on. She absolutely knew what was happening, what was going on, that the U.S. intel agencies were working with British intelligence, Australian, who was Alexander Downer? Was he Australian? Um, he was the he was the ambassador from Australia to the UK. Yeah. He's the one who allegedly had the drunken conversation with George Papadopoulos in London. Papadopoulos, that's right. right. Um, so talk about a telenovela, <laughs> right? This 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 is certainly one of those. But so all those countries were involved. It's just. Now, it's too bad we don't know who the other 26 people were that were being spied on. I don't think that was revealed. But uh, and unfortunately, I, mean, I don't think there's any recourse either. It's not like he had this huge team around him in early 2016. I mean, he had Carter Page, George Papadopoulos and a couple other like who else could it possibly have been? Well, Mike Flynn, um, we know that Paul Manafort, I think he was on the, he was on the campaign team by then. Yeah. So these weren't even like national security advisors. This had to be everyone connected with his campaign at that point, because I don't think it was that There big. weren't that many people. Well, I'm sure it's everyone in his family, obviously, right? So Eric, Don Jr., their spouses, Ivana, Jared, Melania, I'm sure. That, For sure. That they were spied on. I'd just be curious to know, because... That campaign wasn't wasn't really run in 2016 like a traditional campaign where there are like, oh, Michael, Mike Flynn, I'm sure was one of them. He was a, a clearly a For Trump sure. advisor, yes. but it wasn't really set up the way that most campaigns are structured with like clear policy advisors in all the different areas. There was a lot of informal advising going on. So if somebody had a conversation with Trump, but wasn't like technically part of the campaign, they were probably put on a list. You know, it'd be interesting to go back to March 2016 or early 2016 and see who actually was on the Trump campaign, because you could assume then that all of them were being spied on by these various international spy agencies. But he hadn't even won the nomination by then, you know, like, no. just think about how it isn't even 
like these people had a very important relationship with a nominee for president, this guy was still in the primary process. Or maybe I don't yeah. remember exactly when yeah. it became clear, like Cruz dropped out and he was going to be the only one left. It may have been in April when that happened, but or even June. But if you think about it, that there are probably a lot of people that had casual contact with the Trump campaign because Trump likes to talk to people. You know, right. he, he does like to talk to people. And that doesn't mean that they're formally in the campaign. They're, they're not on the payroll. They don't have a title. But the, if, if any of those people got swept up in this, I mean, that's a really technically that's a real serious crime for them to to you know, be caught up in this, this snoop dragnet that was was constructed. But, you know, again, there's no recourse for them. There's either. none. There's none. John Brennan is still going to be a paid CNN intelligence. Well, analyst. He still has a security clearance. So, you know, he still has a security clearance. It's really frustrating because all of these people should be charged with treason and Legit conspiracy to defraud the United States, which is one of four counts that Donald Trump faces in Washington. This was such a wide ranging, damaging conspiracy. This completely disabled Trump's the first half of his presidency with the Robert Mueller investigation. This had real damage to people. I mean, permanent damage to people who were caught up in it. Michael Caputo, Mike Flynn and his family, his son, like Carter Page and Carpetopolis. Yeah, poor Carter Page tries to sue these news outlets for smearing, defaming him, and he can't catch a break because he's filing him in, in New York and Washington. Well, so ugh, the lack of consequences for these people, at the same time they're going after Donald Trump for what? Hush money, E. Jean Carroll, psychopath, you know, trying to look at election fraud in the 2020 election. And now, you know, who's going to go to jail first? Probably Donald Trump. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're right. I think you're right. It's a, it's a very disturbing. And it and that's why it continues. You know, why does it keep getting crazier every day, every week? Because it can. Yeah, because it can. There's no there's nothing in there to dissuade or stop this. There's no consequences. So anyway, we are over an hour. So you have extra minutes. OK, Liz, I do have to give one quick pitch. OK, I go covered ahead. new DNC January 6th pipe bomb footage. Oh, yeah. Um, that shows bomb sniffing dogs within the vicinity, like a few feet from the alleged DNC pipe bomb that never detected it. So if people want to visit my uh, declassified with Julie Kelly Substack, you could see a new video that I posted on that. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We may or may not be here next week. Julie and I will be together next we will. week. So together. if I can We're figure out how, how we can tape this together then maybe there will be podcasts, but I don't know. So hopefully there will be. In in any event, have a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful week. Spend time outside. Get off the internet. Don't go on Instagram. Don't doom scroll. And <laughs> we will see you in a week or two. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.